I probably don't need to tell you this. Christmas is right around the corner. And some of you have been running around getting ready for it. It's crazy. You're feeling the stress of all of that. Uh, What I want to do is I want to take our time here to prepare our hearts for that season. That, that, That thing that happened on that day that we celebrate, amazing. And so because of that, we talk about it every year. Sometimes we go right into the Christmas story and we talk about it directly. Sometimes we'll take an idea out of the Christmas story that maybe is a broader and we deal with it that way. Um, we're going to do something different this year. We're going to take a belief. It's an idea that's also happening in the Christmas story, but happens widely throughout the scriptures. And we're going to try to look at it, um, what I would call an attribute of God, maybe a character of God. Understanding God's character is hard. You you can't sit down at a table across from him and say, let's have coffee once a week until I figure you out. Like you can't look in his eyes and get a sense of whether he means it or not, right? It's hard. It's hard for people to kind of get a grasp on this of who is this God that I'm trying to follow? Who is he? But but one of the best ways to start to figure this out, because you're going to have to have experiences with God that back up what you believe on stuff, but you've got to actually have the basis for that. And so one of the best ways is to read your scriptures. Sometimes the, the Bible will actually say, God is, and tells you what his character trait is. And then you can use that to engage and figure it out. Sometimes the scriptures give him a name. Names are really important in the text. When you're given a name, you would live up to that name, sometimes down to that name. But that name would kind of give you an insight into who that person was. And so there's all kinds of names in the text. Sometimes you can look at the actions of Jesus who acted like in alignment with God all the time. And you could say, that's who God is. Look at that. That's character I can recognize. There's another way too. Sometimes there are statements in the scriptures that get repeated over and over and over again that eventually you just conclude this must be who God is. Like it, it's being said so often, this is it. So what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks here is not a place, I can't take you to a verse that says God is this. But I can take it to so many verses that describe God as this, that you have to conclude, this is God. Who is he? God is a gift giver. He's a gift giver. I would say God is a good gift giver. And the scriptures are going to back it up, but I want you to be cautious. As soon as I say good gift giver, there's, um, there's actually a tribe of Christianity who believes That what that means is that your life will be blessed, rewarded. You'll you'll be rich. You'll be happy. You You won't face sorrow. You'll be on the easy street more than anything else. Things will just go better for you if you're a follower of Jesus who's following a good God who gives you gifts. It'll be consistent for you. I think God's a good gift giver because life isn't that way. I think more often than not, that's not what we experience. And so God has this, 
He has this design. He has this plan where he's going to give some gifts into your life. And if you can focus on the right thing, you could experience that. The problem is we've adopted so much of our culture's belief. Like our our culture wants to be served, wants good things to happen to them right now. They want it now. Somebody supplies it now. And if they don't, somebody will write a bad review. And everybody's terrified of that whole process. You're going to write a bad review on us. I actually think people are doing that with God right now. We're having these moments in our lives where we evaluate that moment. And if we assess that God hasn't been good to us in this moment, then we write a bad review. I'm not sure you're trustworthy. I'm not sure you're good. I'm not sure that I want to be connected in relationship with you. And I'm telling you, this is a dangerous thing to do because God doesn't work on our time frame. The scriptures say he'll work things out for good. He didn't say when. I actually heard a story um, that has helped me a great deal with this. The story was being told to some, uh, a group of drug addicts and alcohol addicts. They wanted instant relief in their life. And you can understand why they would want that. Uh, this, this yearning for instant, I, th- I don't think is much different than all of us. And so uh, they were told this story. I think it has broad appeal. And I'm hoping that we'll, it will invite you into seeing the world, uh, maybe through God's eyes, just a little bit differently. Uh, the story is set in rural Japan. There's an old man um, and a young son living on a farm. They're the only two left. And they are, they're just getting by. They raise radishes. It's hard, daunting work, but they, they grow enough for them to eat and for them to sell some so that they have enough to just live on. They're doing just fine. Uh, the, the old man really can't do the work anymore, and so the young guy, he's out in the field. He, um, they've got a horse strapped to a plow. You break up the ground, then you go back, and you level it out, and then you plant, and then the horse is vital in the operation, like really allows them to get this done. And one day, the horse rears up, breaks off its leather straps, runs up out of their valley over the hill, and despite all the efforts of that young man to corral that horse, that horse is gone. He returns to his father and says, we're doomed. Like, I I don't know what's going to happen. I can't break up that ground alone. We're going to starve this year. This is really, this is really bad. This, I, I'm distraught over this. What are we going to do? And when he finally calmed down enough for the old man to speak, the old man said, you know what? This is something. It's definitely something. I just don't know if it's good or bad. I, I don't think I can make that call yet. I just, I can't make that call. Let's see. Over the next month, the young son is trying. Like he's working up the land. He's getting some stuff planted. It's not at the pace that's going to help them survive. He knows it, but he's, he's doing his best. And suddenly over the hill, kind of swooning into the valley, is that horse that had run away leading 50 other wild horses. The sun goes down, opens the gate to the corral. All the horses run in. He closes it. He's ecstatic. He goes to the father. 
I can't believe this. We're rich. Like, we're set. We don't have to worry about anything in life again. We're going to train these horses. We're going to sell them. Life is so good. And when he finally calmed down enough to let the old man speak, the old man said, this is something. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's good or if it's bad. I, I just can't make the call right now. I just, I can't call it. I can't call it. Young son doesn't fully understand, but okay. Over the next two weeks, starts training the horses so that he can sell a trained horse and make some money. And in the process of this, is thrown off a horse and breaks his leg. This is rural Japan. There's no 911. There's no surgeon. There's no pins. It heals however it heals. And he drags himself back to the house, not able to walk on his leg. And he explains to his father, we're doomed. Like, if we can't sell these horses, we can't make a living. And if I can't train them, I know you can't train them. So we're back in the same place. We're doomed. When he finally calms down long enough, the old man goes, well, this is something. Like, I don't know. I don't know yet if it's good or if it's bad. I just, I don't think I can make the call yet. I just can't call it. They're a week into his rehab. He's hobbling around. He's, it's not good. But he can at least function a little bit. But he's not working. He's not doing anything like that. And over the hill, down into their valley, comes a 5,000 samurai. Impending noise, right? Impending sound of doom. Oh! I practiced this. I think they must have had this turned on when I was doing my, my mic check, and I was like, I'm going to use this. But no, they still haven't turned it on yet. This is a really good impending doom sound. Just like that. The leader gets off his horse, says, give me your son. Our country's been invaded. It's time for war. And the old man says, I would if I could. I have a horse and I have a son. But his leg is broken and the best he can do is hobble around. I don't think he could ride with you and I don't think he would be any good in a battle. The general assesses this, agrees, and off they ride. A week later, word reaches all those little communities that all 5,000 of those samurai were killed. It is so tempting for us to evaluate the tragedies and successes in the moment of our lives and to call it. And to call what's happening right now, either good or bad, depending on whether we see God is doing this for our benefit or not. In the last month, uh, this story has come in handy in my life because I had, I had something roll into my life that is going to change how I live until I die. I didn't ask for it. I don't want it. There's no choice. And I decided not to call it. 
I decided what I would do instead is to rely on what I know. I'm going to say it this way. I decided I would rely on who I know. I know God is God of love. I know he's just. I know he's good. And I know he's a gift giver. It just so happens that he will often give me what I need and not what I want. And I evaluate my life based on the stuff that I want. And I'm willing to call it. I'm willing to say if God's actually a good God or not. Based on that immediate moment. Instead, often not even recognizing the fact that God has been doing something good in my life because he gave me what I needed. This is, a, this is a bad time of year for this. You can get in trouble for giving somebody something they need. I've done it. Like, I've given one of those kind of gifts at Christmas time, and it doesn't fly. Um, but I think this is what happens. This, this made me laugh. I've heard, this, I've heard my father-in-law tell this story twice. He tells it the same way both times he tells it, and um, it makes me laugh each time. Uh, his lawnmower recently broke. He has a riding lawnmower, big lawn. And so he went out and he bought a brand new lawnmower. And what he says is when he, ex- when he does this story, he says, I went out and I bought a brand new lawnmower for your mother. And he's, he's got a smirk on his face because she doesn't mow the lawn. Like, She doesn't have anything to do with it. And the whole time he's telling this story about how he went and got her this gift, she stands off to the side. Same time, both stories. She stands off to the side doing this. (laughs) Right? I suspect that this is sometimes what happens with us and God. God is a gift giver who has been is and will be giving gifts into your life. And the only question is, will you recognize it or not? Or will it be in such, it's like it's a need, and so I don't see it as that. And so I discount the activity of God in my life. I'm hoping over the next four weeks that we can find a way to realign our attention onto who God is so that your experience with him will be reinforced. People are going to be talking about gifts and giving and doing all of that sort of thing. And I want this to come to your mind. God is a gift giver who's consistently giving me gifts. How? Well, let's look at it. I want to take you to a big one. This is a big thing that I think God is engaged in doing in your life. And if you can get past the doom and the success moments you might see something bigger going on, something bigger at play in your life, okay? Um, This is in John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. He's preparing his disciples for when he's not going to be around, and he says in verse 16, and I will ask the Father who will give you another advocate. Jesus has been advocating for them. He's been fighting for these guys, but another advocate is going to show up, And he says, he's going to help you and be with you forever. He goes on. Again, he's talking to people who are followers. These are people who want to honor God with their lives. And he says, 
Here's exactly what I'm going to do. It's going to be, in verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. It neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I intend to give you something. I intend to give you something. Did you see the attributes for this gift of the Holy Spirit? He says, advocate. You can be somebody who fights for you, but that's not all. Look at what else he says. He said, it's going to be the spirit of truth. Do you know how hard it is to find somebody who will just tell you the truth? People are so afraid to tell you the truth because they don't want to hurt your feelings. They don't want you to be mad. They don't want others to not like them. And so they skirt it. And the truth doesn't get visited. And you don't find out what's true. Never have that problem with the Holy Spirit. We'll speak what's true all the time. And then look at what he says. Be with you always. He is present with you. With you. On journey. Traveling. In your moments where it's high and when it's low. I, I want to call this a spiritual gift that's in your life. Now, unfortunately, uh, almost exclusively, this idea of spiritual gift has been co-opted by the church in talking about the gifts that you have to serve the body of Christ. And that's a real thing that's happening. But there are also spiritual gifts where the Spirit of God does something with your spirit that's unique. That it's a gift He gave it to you as an advocate for you, as a way to speak truth to you, and he's always with you to do it. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you two, two things that don't often get talked about from this perspective, where God's spirit is trying to do something with your spirit that's a gift. It's a gift to you. So I want to start in James chapter 1. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. One of the gifts that is available at your like, hand, your fingertips, is that you can ask God for wisdom, and he's willing to give it. He's willing to give you wisdom. Now, it's probably going to be important for you to understand wisdom and to understand how. Did you see how he's going to receive this from you? He said, without finding fault. That's almost like saying there's no such thing as a dumb question, which I've always had problems with, right? You've heard people say, you know, they've asked a question and somebody goes, oh, it's okay. There's no such thing as a dumb question. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't have to try very hard. I think I could win this one, right? I think I could come up with a really dumb question. But when you go to God and you're asking, he doesn't find fault with a question. He doesn't find fault with, I think this about you, God, and I'm angry right now. Can we talk? I kind of doubt you right now. Doesn't find fault, but is willing to offer wisdom, insight, perspective, This is a little bit different than what I think most people think of. Because what most people think of is when I ask for wisdom from God, 
I want God to tell me what to do. And I honestly think that the pursuit of wisdom sometimes by followers of Jesus is happening so that they don't have to be responsible for the decision or the consequences that follow. God told me to do it. I asked for wisdom. He gave me this wisdom. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to do this now. But if it all goes bad, I'm going to look back and say, God, what were you thinking? God says, no, no, I'll give you my perspective. When I was growing up, I was told this about wisdom. I still think it works. It makes sense to me today. Wisdom is seeing things from God's point of view. Like if you want, if you want some insight, if, if God asks you to do something, he'll give you peace. That's true sometimes. Sometimes God will ask you to do something and it will bring you discomfort. It will bring you discomfort. Why? Because the problem with God's wisdom is that you and I and our personal happiness is not at the center of that advice his kingdom is. He cares about his kingdom, what's happening with his kingdom, the values that you would hold inside that kingdom, and if you have to hold that value and take a few shots in the teeth, that's what you do. Why? Because it honors God. So that perspective doesn't always offer you an out. This is going to feel good to me. Not necessarily, but it could be that it honors God because you you gathered in his wisdom and you got his perspective and you accepted this is going to be tough, but I also think it's the right thing to do and you do it. So this comes from all kinds of stuff. um, Noah talked about last week how sometimes you have questions and, and you don't like to sit. This is part of that. It, it could be that you have the questions because you don't even know what the answer, like is it A or B? You don't even have an A or B option. You're just confused. Some of it, you have A or B and you don't know the outcome. I don't know what the outcome will be. And you want God to kind of fill in the outcome so that you can figure that all out. Or you know it's A or B, but you want C. Is there a C anywhere in this equation? And you have all of those questions. And God will be patient with that. But when we say he'll give you wisdom in the midst of all of your questions, it doesn't mean that he'll give you the answer. It means he'll give you his insight, his perspective. He'll reveal his character to you, and you'll have to make a choice about how you're going to live that out in this world. And as uncomfortable as it is, it's still a gift to get insight from the very hand of God. Now, occasionally, God goes past insight. I want to show you this. Back in John, where Jesus is talking about this gift of the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, he says this. But the advocate, this is verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. He also has the capacity to teach and remind. In fact, in verse 13 of chapter 16, just a little ways away, it says this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. I love that word, guide you. There will be moments 
when the Spirit's activity in your life will be to teach you, remind you something you already know, or to guide you. Now, here's my experience on this. And and you can test this to see if you think this is accurate or true or not. You've got wisdom, you've got guidance. And most of the time, I think we flip them. We say, God, I want guidance. I want you to tell me what to do with the big stuff in life. Should I spend that money? Should I take that risk? Should I go down this path? I want you to give me guidance. Tell me exactly what to do. But over here on the small stuff, we just want wisdom. On the small stuff, it's like, hey, this person insulted me and hurt my feelings. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. But I'll take your insight, God, but I'm going to do what I want. Like, you can give me your perspective on this, but this person has it coming, and we go for it. I think they're flipped. I think on the big stuff, God offers wisdom. He offers perspective. He wants you to think about his kingdom. He wants you to make sure that your values and his values are lined up as you make those big decisions. But he offered you freedom. He offered you freedom to go and make some decisions. So why don't you step into that freedom? But then on occasion, when you're about to let somebody have it, something inside you goes off. Your spirit just goes, boom, stop. And that is the Holy Spirit kind of bumping up against you, saying, I'm trying to guide you right now. Don't say that. I'm trying to guide you right now. Shut off that computer screen. I'm trying to guide you right now. Would you get off that app? Go talk to a real human being. Like, I'm trying to grab your attention, and you feel it at the gut level. That is the Holy Spirit trying to guide, trying to remind, trying to teach you. Why? Because it's a gift. It's a spiritual gift that you're walking around with, that's loaded in your spirit. So when when that spirit goes off, and you can learn to listen to it, it can guide you. You can make a choice in that moment. But we want, we want God's insight and just let us live however we want in these reactions and these responses that we have. And we want his wisdom. Or we want his guidance in the big stuff. But I think he's doing it differently. You have a gift that you're walking around with. A gift that could guide could teach, could actually remind you of the things that you desire to do to honor God. The question is, are you going to tap into it? I want you to see this because it works with both wisdom and guidance, these things that God's doing in our lives. This is uh, Paul writing to Timothy. He's got an apprentice of sorts, and he says this to him. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is um, in you through the laying on of hands. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that you and I carry. And he says, I don't know if you know this, but you can fan that into flame. You can make that white hot in your soul. It, It can move you. By the way, it means that you can do the opposite too. If the Holy Spirit is active in your life and you say, shh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want your guidance right now. I'm not interested in your perspective. 
If, if you shut him down enough, it can turn into an ember that's barely lit. And you're walking around with a gift that could help you, and it's not there. But he says you could actually fan this thing into flame. How? How would you do that? Next verse. Check this out. For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Spirit of God was given for you so that you could act with courage. Uh, doing what? The verse kind of just led us to it. You are to act with power as you love. As God gives you guidance and it feels like that's the loving thing to do, probably should, probably should do that. If you've asked for God's insight and wisdom, and it looks like that's going to be a hard path that he's kind of given his perspective on, but it's loving, then you do that because you've been given the power and the courage to act. It's also said self-discipline. When you find an area in your life that you know you've got to start putting boundaries up, and the more you act on putting those boundaries up, the more space that you give for the Holy Spirit's voice to become louder in your life and yours to become less. I'm putting limits on you. I'm putting limits on me. I'm not going to listen to you as much. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do when I'm going to do it. I'm going to discipline you. Why? So that I can be more sensitive to the Spirit, which fans that into flame. And this gift I walk around with can now benefit my life. I can gain insight from God. I can even at times be guided, learn, remembered these things that God's already put in my heart to do. This is really hard to do when your perspective is your immediate reality. When your immediate reality is all that you care about and you're evaluating it, whether it's good or bad for me in the moment right now, it's hard to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's hard not to call it and to say, this is, this is bad. No, it could be bad. But you haven't seen God do what God does yet. And if you would back off from that and tap into who you know that God has given you a gift, the Holy Spirit walks with you, is in you right now, and if you'd be willing, you could do a few things that would fan that into flame. You could get insight wisdom from God on a regular basis. You could have his spirit bump up against your spirit and guide you in the moments where you need that. You need that reminder. You need that push. That's who we are because that's who God is. He's a gift giver. He's active in your life and the only question is, can you see it? I hope over the next few weeks as people talk about all of these gifts, that as you think about God being a gift giver, you'll remember you carry a spiritual gift around with you right now who's active in your life. Is there anything you can do to fan the flame? Let me pray with you.
God, I'm grateful that my immediate, the things I instantly see aren't always true. They feel true. They can be horrible in the moment. But you have this incredible gift to take things that are just horrible and you find a way to turn the story into something that's good for your kingdom. God, I'm convinced that there are a lot of people in this congregation this morning who want to see your kingdom succeed. Not just out there, but in their own lives. God, as they have that desire and wish, I ask that you would help them to recall, to remember that you gave them a gift. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. It is a gift of God's spirit into their life. And if they're willing to lean in, they could begin to understand your character, who you are, and how to reflect that into the world. God, may we embrace the gift. May we use it for insight, guidance. May it shape who we are, because that's what you intended. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.